Hello, this is Toby. If you are a long-time listener, you will know that if you hear my voice before the music starts, it's usually me apologising for something, and today is no exception. I want to apologise for the audio quality in part of the interview you're about to hear. It's my fault. When we made the recording, I didn't spot that the sound is in some places a bit muffled, or boxy, as I've learned it's called in the trade. I've done my best to tidy it up, but with only partial success in some places. I don't know if it makes it better or worse to add that the conversation is nonetheless a very interesting one, because I guess if it wasn't interesting, nobody would care if the audio quality was off anyway. Um, I hope you bear with it, and I hope you get as much out of this conversation as I did, uh, which was a lot. On with the show. Hello, welcome to the Science for Policy podcast. My name's Toby and today I'm joined by Professor Franz Brom. Professor Brom's background is in bioethics and the ethics of technology, on which topics he has advised the Dutch government as well as researching and lecturing in several major universities. He's now director of the Office of the Netherlands Scientific Council for Government Policy, or WRR, which provides science-based strategic policy advice to the Dutch government and the Dutch parliament. So, Franz, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. I guess the abbreviation WRR makes more sense in Dutch than English. Yes, it does. In Dutch, it's Wetenschappelijke Raad voor Regeringsbeleid, which is translated as Scientific Council for Government Policy. And you run the office. Does that mean you run the organization or what's your role there? My role is, well, the council is... uh, composed about eight professors appointed by the government for a period of five years. And they have a chair and they have a secretary. And I'm the secretary of the council. So in that sense, I let the, the council run smoothly. And in order to support the council, there is research staff and other staff. And I'm head of, uh, of the bureau that supports the council, which is uh, 22 researchers uh, and uh, secretary communication people. Uh, and others. Okay, thank you. Well, now I said this in just a few words, but perhaps you can say a few more words about the role of the council, what it's for. Well, the council advises Dutch government on long-term strategic issues that are for more than one uh, ministry relevant. So we advise on on, on issues that are uh, relevant for the next period of of government, but we don't advise uh, only future-oriented, but we advise how these long-term issues are already on the agenda now. I'll give an example. Uh, we wrote a report on, on the sustainability of our healthcare system in the long run with aging population, with, with, with higher prices for medicine, etc., or development in, in science and technology in, in the medical field. Uh, in the long run, uh, we have to think about how we keep our healthcare system uh, financially sustainable. And by writing that report, we saw it's not only financially sustainability that's a big issue. There are two other sustainabilities that are as important. That is the personal sustainability, giving uh, demographics, giving uh, the development of our society. Less and less uh, people are there to work in, in care and in cure. So that's really a sustainability question popping up already now. But when we wrote reports uh, two years ago, it, it was on the agenda. And there is societal sustainability. How do we develop a system? That's not only financially or with regard to personnel sustainable, but which has a firm basis in our societal solidarity. Then we said, looking at the long-term perspectives of, of healthcare system, you don't need to look only 
at financial sustainability, but you need to take the other sustainabilities aboard and think from a more integral perspective on the long on the long run. Okay, so the way you described it, it sounds like it's quite a specific mandate that the council has. You mentioned strategic stuff, you mentioned longer term stuff, and also this thing about being across multiple ministries. Yes. Um, so this makes me think this is not the only game in town for Dutch science advice. Of course not, of course not. We have a very elaborated uh, landscape of, of science advice in the Netherlands. Uh, we have plan, planning bureaus, uh, we have uh, councils uh, advising on specific issues like a health council or like a council of international affairs. And of course we have uh, universities and, and research institutes uh, advising government. But our role is very specific to look at the long-term issues and the strategic issues. So we advise to look beyond the politics of today, uh, to look beyond the politics of, uh, of next week, to the politics of the, of the long term. And we advise on issues that are otherwise not on the agenda. Mm-hmm. The first thing I always want to know when I learn about a new or an unfamiliar kind of science advice model is, on whose initiative do you act? Are you asked to investigate things by the government, by the policymakers, or do you set your own agenda? The core is the council decides its own agenda. But sometimes government asks advice on, on issues and uh, we take those into account or not. Mostly we take them into account and when an issue pops up, it's already discussed before there is a formal question. So in that sense, we can say, well, this might not really be relevant for us. You better bring it to a specific council. Or yes, we would like to do it, but it will take a year before we start it because currently our projects are fulfilling all our time. So that's the way we look at it, uh, elaborated uh, a system of, of uh, making our own agenda. Because we start only two two trajectories a year, maybe three, uh, and they, they, these trajectories take a few take a long time, take a few years, in which we do a lot of things. We have already a lot of interaction with government, with parliament, with experts on the topic, and then we have uh, somewhere near the end, just before the end, we write a report, and then from that report, we also have a period in which we explain and bring the report to our audience so it's it's if we take a theme it takes a few years including the report including the, the interaction including the research so we have uh, only two few themes a year so we really have to be careful in which things we, we put on our agenda that's really interesting so you're describing a system which is quite slow which is self-initiated so you set your own agenda you don't have your priorities dictated to you by your client and which deliberately takes a view that goes beyond the kind of short-term priorities of politics of any individual government any individual political mandate exactly yeah that, that, that's a very very uh, good summary of what we're doing right so this sounds extremely worthwhile and important but it also sounds like something that is very difficult to well let me put this in the form of a yeah, question to get across it's very yeah. difficult to get across yes yes Difficult to communicate, but also who on earth is interested? <laughs> or rather, how do you make policymakers interested? Is there really such a mature political debate in the Netherlands that a government has the room to stop and listen and think about these kinds of issues and and can see the importance of doing that even in the middle of the cut and thrust of daily politics? Uh, yes, but we take a lot of time in getting our message across. So it's not just writing a report, putting it in an envelope, sending it and ready. No, we really take a lot of time for interaction, for conversations, 
for instance, uh, my chair visits all ministers at least once or two years. So all ministers have a conversation with the chair of our of our council, and in this conversation, she uh, already explains what we're doing, brings forward the issues, uh, asks whether they uh, are uh, have questions that we could put on our cross list of, uh, of of topics and have a real conversation. Second, we have twice a year a meeting with our prime minister in which we tell him what is the the things that are are working are going around which are the, the issues that are on our agenda and how we deal with them and why they are for long-term relevant for him and his work we have uh, oh so is that interact so that's a very kind of uh high level opportunity you have is that interaction yes established in law or is that something that you manage to engineer yeah. each time? Well, the council is technically part of the prime minister's office. So the, the staff is uh, our employees of prime minister's office, although the staff is only responsible, has only responsibility for its content towards the council. So uh, finance, etc., are part of uh, prime minister's office, but the content is uh, independent set by, by the council. So there is already a working relation between between council and the prime minister's office, also with the, with the civil servants supporting prime minister, where we have uh, meetings where we discuss issues in a way that brings them forward. Uh, our idea. This goes back, I would say, uh, twelve years when we had external evaluation, which said you need to take more time in interacting with policymakers. And I think uh, rightly so did uh, the evaluation say that at that time. Your independence is not uh, at risk when you pick up the phone to talk with the civil servants. So I think that's, that's, that's really an important issue. So we have really uh, contact. The same we do with Parliament, not only the coalition that currently rules uh, our country, but also with the opposition. It's important to work on that sense that because current opposition might be uh, tomorrow's, uh, tomorrow's coalition, so you really want to have links with uh, with a broad political spectrum in, in bringing forward our our reports. Next to that, uh, we have uh, meetings with uh, the civil servants working on the issues that are relevant for, for the project. So if we, we do a project on the future of labor, and we really had uh, uh, discussions with uh, the Ministry of Social Affairs and uh, Ministry of Economic Affairs, the people working on issues with regard to labor market and the organization of labor. But we also had explicit meetings with, with unions, with, 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 with employers, uh, and with a lot of different uh, scientists, economists, sociologists working in that field. So we really try to get the knowledge from the system into our report. Yeah, that, that must be essential. I think you mentioned you have eight professors in do you say 22 staff researchers? Yes, 22 staff researchers. Yes. Yeah. So this isn't enough to have expertise on every area under the sun? Oh, not, not at all. Not at all, no. But to be honest, sometimes it's even good not to have specific expertise in a certain discussion, but get the experts around the table and see to, to be able to transcend their specific expertise and link it on another level to, to, to our advice. So we really need to understand the expertise, but we need to not to be already socialized in certain scientific debates and therefore not able to see above this debate or place them in, in a strategic perspective. Yeah, that's interesting. Do you do original research ever or do you see what you do as original research or is it only ever like knowledge gathering and synthesis? Well, 
it's a bit in between. We, we sometimes do a little bit original research. For instance, uh, we, we did a report on, on capacity to act and how people act and how it's not just knowledge, but all, all knowledge from psychology, how people make decisions and virtues, whether you behave, whether non-cognitive experts are really important in, in making decisions. And there we did some research to understand how it's developed and how it's uh, done in society. But in general, we, we take research from, from experts, but we do, of course, conceptual research, uh, philosophical research in, in getting to understand the issues that are that play a role. We look at uh, different forms of, of social research, economic research, in order to understand what's, what's going on. It's not primarily data gathering, but it's a lot of analysis we do. It seems like there's actually, when you scratch the surface, there's actually a lot of areas of expertise that have to come together to make this model work. There's not just the science and the science synthesis, and then, as you said, the data gathering and packaging and so on. There's also the horizon scanning and, and, and figuring out what to do. There's the expertise in understanding the political context, how to position your advice to make it land, and with whom, and in what way, and when. It's a lot. Yes, and for instance, when we write a report... Uh, we do quite quite some some research, one could say, uh, contemporary historical research on the policy history of a certain uh, certain topic. Understand how the how the policy had developed, uh, what the role of the different actors is. If you look at uh, health system policy in the Netherlands for the past thirty years, past forty years, you see that certain things have been tried over and over and over again and didn't function. So it doesn't help to advise the same thing, even if it might be from an from an abstract, uh, systematic perspective, be a good advice. You really need to understand why certain advices in the past worked or didn't work in order to understand uh, what could be a helpful, helpful advice. And at the same time, you don't want to be stuck to what is on the table now because then you can't uh, can't do something new. So we've often our uh, our advices are taking the problem, turning it a few times around and say, maybe if you frame it in another way, new avenues of, of, of coping with it. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I was going to ask the, the kind of question I want to ask. I'm not sure how to, how to phrase it. How free floating then are your topics and questions really when you generate them? I mean, so of course you do horizon scanning. I mean, in one way of looking at it, that's really what you do, isn't it? You're horizon scanning writ large. Go on, sorry. Yes, but the risk of saying we're doing horizon scanning is that you're looking at the future and forget the relevance for the here and now. Most important is that our reports end with a perspective on what's needed now, what has to be done on this long-term issue now. So the future starts now. That's one of the words we, we, we tend to say when we, when we do our reports. Hmm. Okay, yeah. So you wouldn't look into an issue that you thought might be high on the agenda in 20 years' time if you didn't think there was something to do about it now. Exactly. So we, if it's on the agenda in 20 years' time, uh, then uh, the least has been done. Uh, there are infrastructural things that need to be done now, or there is legislation that has to be prepared now. If it's uh, social disruptive, uh, you have to think about uh, how to structure our current society in order to be coping with, with this technology. So we did a big report on artificial intelligence and the core question is, this is a technology that will change society broadly. It's more like a industrial engine and then it's like a, a small a small thing. It's really system technology that really changes a 
of future structure. So it's not something one ministry can take into its account, say it's innovation, but this has to be thought through from all levels of government. And that's difficult because no one is really prepared or has skills to do such a broad change. So such a report will take a few years in order to land. People start with using the th- bits and pieces they can use now. And in the long run, it might, if you're successful and if you keep on pushing it, it might really help to change the way government looks at such such a technology. How long have you been around? How long has the council existed? The council exists over 50 years. Last year we had our 50th anniversary. So uh, so that, that's quite some time. So it really, it has its background in, in some ideas about planning that nowadays we know that are not... Uh, necessarily uh, very helpful, very, very scientific or, or, or rigorous uh, planning ideas. And uh, we just uh, we make a scientific council and then uh, that helps to, to, to make our policies. Well, okay. Uh, okay. Hang on. Whoa, 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 whoa. What do you mean by that? Because that's, that's intriguing. Because I was going to say that is a very enlightened politician 50 years ago who thought, you know, what we really need is some long-term strategic advice. Absolutely. It, it was at the time from, from the Club of Rome, sustainability discussions 50 years ago. So really long-term issues were on the agenda. But the basic idea was a little bit more positivistic about science than uh, we nowadays know how, how it functions. Uh, it was more science-based and science-informed, one could say, uh, the idea. And it was more the idea that uh, the science was also a little bit... A technocratic flavor. That was one of the critics when the council was started 50 years ago. Isn't this too technocratic? So we really uh, worked in those 50 years systematically that we are there to support policymaking and not we are there to, to do the policymaking instead of the policymakers. And I think that's one of the important things. So we really try to put on the long-term issues on the agenda for, uh, for the policymakers and uh, provide options, sometimes direct directions, because as a council, we're not just informing, we might say this or that seems a good direction. Of course, being an advisor, put your advice next to them, and that's a good thing, because they have uh, policymakers have another uh, responsibility than we have ourselves. So it's really important to, to advise and not to, to take the place off. And an inter- interesting thing of the Dutch situation is that if we write a formal report, government has the obligation, the legal obligation, to write an answer to our report to Parliament. You say, aha, they can, of course you can write, it's a very interesting report, and it supports our current policy, and where it becomes a really bit uh, very precise, time is not right to do so and so. That would be a very problematic response from our perspective. We really want to write reports in which they engage with our, with our reports, and uh, that succeeds sometimes better than in our time, of course. Aha. Uh-huh. Exactly. Yeah, but it requires that somebody has to read it, take it seriously, you know, yes. read it from start to finish, write down a response. Yes. And in a way, the response is neither here nor there. I mean, I guess it could provide some ammunition for political opponents or whatever. But the point of the report is that it mandates the reading. Yes, yes, and uh, because we write reports that go over uh, the borders of one ministry, uh, there really has to be interdepartmental uh, discussions on, on our reports, and I think that's the first and very important way in which it gets uh, input uh, impact in, in the policy making sphere. 
And then, of course, when we write a report, we present it uh, to those who might be relevant in executing uh, the policies in the, in the field. So we present it to Parliament, we present it to, uh, to, to the legislative bodies, we present it to newspapers, to, 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 to NGOs. Uh, so it's public, it's in the public domain, and if we are invited to explain it, of course, within the limits of our practicalities, but... Uh, We'll explain what we've written. And we make short movies about the report in order to, to get better access to the content. And we make summaries, we make one-pages, we make infographics. So there is really this sometimes a few hundred pages report, which is the content backbone. But uh, you know, no one will read it, or at least very few people read it. So you need uh, to make it accessible. But I think we need this backbone in order to, uh, if, if people doubt a certain idea of, of, of what to really engage in discussion that they see how, why, and on what basis we, we, we argue for such such, such points of perspective. Yeah, of course. I mean, the depth is there for anyone who wants to dive in later. Yes. And for us, for oneself, it's, it's important to have the depth. If in advance you know what you're writing, uh, we wouldn't be additional to what is already done. So you be really one of the few places where one can take the time to, to wander around around the problem and see whether there are avenues that have not been taken and try to find new problem definitions. And that implies a ring a few times. You mentioned the dreaded word impact. Yes. And I was kind of cautious about bringing it up because I know it's always such a difficult thing to, to figure out. And I imagine especially in this kind of context with this kind of advice. Uh, yes and no. Uh, uh, there is impact. You can measure some impact, but on the same hand, if you are doing a good report, you change some way of thinking and others are going to, to build upon your report. And it's difficult to say when then there's a policy change, whether it's exactly ours or not. But that's not the most important point. The most important point is that uh, when we propose a change of view, when we propose an, uh, an idea that something is, is really relevant, well, that in society and in policy-making circles, it, it gets seen and it gets read and it gets uh, used. And that takes quite some time. The first point is we want the report. We want uh, uh, our ideas to be seen. That's the first point. as a necessary step before something can be done. And that's something you, you can measure. Is it quoted in Parliament? Uh, how many downloads? Uh, all those practical things that, uh, that many of us... Uh, uh, use in, in looking at that impact. That is a necessary but not sufficient step in, in, in getting impact. And you need to measure it in order to, to see uh, your, whether your report is seen. If it's not seen, it can't have impact. But once it is seen, something more has to be done. That is, it has to change the way people think uh, rather than the ways, uh, the ways they frame a certain issue. And that takes just time. Continuing discussion, explaining the report, explaining the message, looking for a moment in which you can bring it forward again, etc., uh, etc. Et so that's really it's, uh, and that's one of the issues where we're struggling with, or where we now have our discussions internally. How long do you go on with explaining a certain report, or when do you start with a new topic? Because uh, Otherwise, you would never do a new topic, but that's also not very good. Yeah, indeed. And as time goes by, you only accumulate more past reports. Exactly. The weight of your past work just goes up. It never comes down. 
Yeah, but on the other hand, some things on the past are really old. So that's also <laughs> so that's and we we and we work on similar issues in a few times. So we wrote in the past fifty years three reports on on Europe, uh, and uh, the last report uh, really looks quite different than the first report, and I think uh, it helps really to to frame the issues. But we take up issues from the earlier reports. Yes, <laughs> fair. Yeah. So everything you've said about impact, I think. Was very nicely put, and I agree. And I, I think it's something I've heard from others too that the kind of impact you can measure easily is not the kind that, in the end, matters. I mean, you can look at society and say, society has changed in this particular way, which perhaps we anticipated or we hoped or we recommended, but you can't say that changes because they read paragraph 19 on page 60 of your report. Exactly, exactly. No. I, yeah, and I'm jealous that you're in a sufficiently um, stable established position institutionally that you can afford to be sanguine about that you can say we know that we can't demonstrate this but we were never going to be able to and that's okay well we get an external evaluation every five years and the evaluation committee interviews a lot of stakeholders around us asking whether we have impact so there is really an impact measuring by in interviewing stakeholders so uh, we just have an uh, evaluation behind we are we just received reports we are working on the, well it's quite positive and they interviewed quite a lot of people on our reports well they say that's an interesting thing that having an impact is not only depending on what you're doing yourself but also whether there is a, a possibility to absorb on the other side and that's where they have some uh, some critical remarks towards uh, the political atmosphere currently uh, in the Netherlands, well, that uh, a little bit more room for uh, understanding uh, long-term issues uh, would be good for policy making in politics. Indeed. And yeah, of course, to an extent that also bounces back on you, right? Because you have to work in a political environment that you've got. And so exactly recognizing that means you might be able to work in different ways. Yeah, understood. Yeah. Do you get lobbied? Like, is your stuff contested? Does it enter into the public debate in that way? Yes. Uh, we wrote an, uh, a series of uh, publications on, on migration. Uh, and the, the, uh, and uh, one of the core messages we had was that uh, migration is not uh, old-fashioned in the way that a few countries send a lot of mi- migrants, but that migration in the Netherlands is from all over the world and all different kinds of uh, countries, but all different kinds of ways why people come to the Netherlands, from uh, expats to, uh, to refugees, from uh, skilled uh, techni- technicians, whatever, so to students. So there is a really big broadness of, of refugees. And that, for instance, our statistical way in looking at, uh, at uh, migration was not uh, fitting current uh, current developments, so we said, you have to really have a more precise way of looking where people come from. We uh, argued against uh, uh, the use of the word Western, non-Western, absolute non-scientific to, to look at, uh, at migrants from that perspective. Uh, we, we said uh, the Dutch word allochtone, which is a word for those who are not born in the Netherlands, is not really uh, very helpful uh, in, in understanding what's going on. Uh, 
use migrants and be more precise in where migrants come from. So that were things that we really said, and of course, uh, some people uh, thought that was uh, not necessarily what, uh, especially uh, uh, people who were a little bit more xenophobe uh, than we are, uh, 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 that this this is not the way of looking at it. So really, uh, some discussions on the on that issue. Uh, we did a uh, report on the future of labor, where we said that better grip on the work of people in the labor market is really important. And some people say, well, the flexibility of, of the labor market is one of the things that makes the Netherlands very economically successful. So be careful not take away the flexibility so that then you get a discussion on on that report. And we did a report on, 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 on where does our money come from, on the structure of, of uh, who, who makes our money, uh, especially uh, digital money and the role of banks in, in, in that field. And that was quite some discussion on, on the role of banks, uh, of course, in, 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 with regard to that report. I can well imagine. I mean, those are all massive political hot potatoes. Yeah, as you mentioned, all three of them. Yeah, if it's not a hot potato, it's not, it's not interesting for us. Well, I'm very pleased to hear you say that. That's a case I've been making uh, with my colleagues for years. I, I come from a background of political communications, and we used to say, I mean, mostly to reassure ourselves, as you can imagine, if someone isn't upset that we've done something wrong. Yeah, except that. But I mean, it's one thing to say you do your work and you lob the hot potato into the public sphere and then the debate ensues. That's one thing. But I'm interested more in how the heat of the potato <laughs> impacts on your work when you are handling it, as it were, before you throw it? We are not interested in just getting a, a hot debate. That's not our task. Our task is whether we can look at the hot potato, maybe uh, cut it in pieces in order to let it cool down a bit and say, well, this th this piece is much more interesting than that piece. And on this piece, we need to really do, do policy. And that piece is creating a lot of societal noise. But if you really look at it, it's not the most important part of the potato. So. We really want to uh, make clear, we, we try to uh, cool down hot potatoes in a way that policy can, uh, can get a grip on. <laughs> and we do that by technical, scientific, social, historical, contextual analysis. Yes. And I suppose also not everybody in society wants that to happen. For some people, the potato should really stay hot. That's a value to them. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's valuable for them from their uh, their perspective. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's one other area I want to ask you about, and that's this idea that you advise both the government and parliament. And maybe I should say first of all, for the benefit of listeners who come from countries where things are organised differently, we have a lot of listeners in the US, for example. This is not quite as dramatic a distinction as you might imagine. So in a parliamentary system like the Netherlands. The government like emerges from the parliament and is pretty closely linked to it. There's no completely separate legislature and executive like in France, for instance, or the US. So I guess to advise both is not automatically some deep conflict of interest. But still, it's interesting because I guess you do mean something when you say that you advise both government and parliament. Do you, for instance, advise individual members of parliament or what? How does it work? No, we do. No, we do. No, uh... That implies that well, our name is for government policy and not for government. And that was a deliberate discussion 50 years ago. Because if it was for government, we would be uh, the ones supporting government. But by doing for government policy, a government policy is 
legally made by parliament and government. So from that perspective, we have this link. And that's the first. Second, uh, we get ideas what topics we would uh, would do, also from parliament. To be uh, to be more clear, in the last few years, several times in parliament, people have asked government, have asked ministers in debate, would that not be an issue to ask the WRR to write a report on? Of, uh, that's of course uh, honourable. We are really glad that they asked. So it's too often to to say yes because we think that uh, some issues that are not asked for might be needed that we take time to do to do them. So. We, so you can't do everything with the aspect. We, we try to do sometimes something different than write a full report on it, organize a meeting, or uh, use our uh, our power to, to convene people uh, to have a debate on something. Bring uh, politicians, uh, scientists, uh, policymakers together around the table and discuss uh, an issue. That's what we sometimes do, and sometimes we bring it into a. Uh, the project that we what what we have, so for instance, uh, issues with regard to, to the climate justice, we were working on it, and there were specific questions about whether uh, uh, financial institutions uh, should take responsibility for climate consequences of their investments, and we wrote a broader report on climate justice, on distributive justice in, in climate policy, and then we took a little bit of those issues in into account. So that's that is the second way we, we work for Parliament. And the third is that all our reports, we give a technical briefing to Parliament if they want to. We go to uh, parliamentary groups to explain if they invite us, not individual members. Well, if a parliamentary leader asks us to tell to tell a bit about the report, of course we will do because that is that is a group. But it's not that we uh, uh, advise uh, on strategic policy perspectives of individual parliamentarians. Okay. And you don't, I suppose, get, well, do you get involved in commenting on legislation that's being prepared or debated right now? No, 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 we don't. Closest we come to that is that what we did on the uh, did report on the non-cognitive powers of, of decision-making, that we said you really have to look on how you look at citizens if you make legislation. What do you expect them to be able to do so? Uh, what kind of decision do you expect, and, and are, and is it reasonable to ask this from people under the circumstances they live in? That amounted into a test, say, like a checklist that has to be filled in when legislation is is made. Whether uh, the image of the doability of the law for citizens is taken into account. Uh, so, th- so that's that's close. But then the follow up. Of this doability that's in the parliamentary and the legal system and not for us. Is any of your work targeted or useful more widely outside of the Netherlands? Bearing in mind you have an international audience listening to the podcast. Yeah, the two things that might be important for the international audience is that our full reports are translated into English. So we translate all our full reports into English and we publish them open access uh, so that everybody can get a, a look at them. As relevant, and the second thing is that we, uh, for us, international cooperation is important in in two ways. One is that the issues our countries face might be similar, although the political circumstances are are different, but at least the questions are similar, and uh, 
we might be able to learn from what other institutions do with regard to the same problems. So that, that's an important one. And there, of course, is difficulty because there are a few countries that have a strategic advisory council that is, that is science-based uh, for science-based strategic advice. Uh, but the topics we work on are often tackled in other countries uh, uh, by different uh, institutions. So we try to, to find in every project international links. So that's, that's the first one. Uh, and the second is, of course, the science base is, is international. So we sometimes invite the scientists in other countries. And from, uh, from this perspective, we have a, one organization that looks a little bit familiar to us, and that's uh, France Strategie in Paris, is a strategic advisory for uh, the prime minister and the president. In, uh, well, we visit them uh, once, twice a year. They visit us, we exchange uh, ideas. So I think that's on, on the international uh, level uh, a relevant uh, point. Very good. We're coming to the end now. I have just a couple more questions. Um, Firstly, if you're put in touch with someone from a country that is right now in the process of setting up its own science advice mechanism or infrastructure or whatever in some way, what would you recommend them to think about? Do you think the WRR is an example worth replicating? Or are there any parts of it that they might find useful? I would absolutely recommend that next to all the necessary science-based understanding of the world in order to be able to, to make policies, you need to have a strategic function. Yes, you need to understand uh, health impacts of COVID. Yes, you need to understand uh, 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 safety aspects of, of genetically modified organisms. All these uh, important issues are really, really relevant. But if you set up a strategic function next to that, it helps you to uh, to have a mechanism that puts issues on the agenda that you otherwise uh, uh, might not see or for which you otherwise would not have been prepared to, uh, to take into account. Having a strategic think tank that is close enough to policy making to be able to write stuff that's be understood in the policy making circles, but is uh, free enough to write the things that are necessary for the long term and is bold enough to have interaction during the process. That's what we try. I'm not saying that we succeed, but that's where, where we aim at. Being close enough to be relevant, being bold enough to be in conversation, being free enough to say things that otherwise would not have been said. It's a very nice, very narrowly defined little triangle. Yeah. And slightly cheeky of me to ask, but I will ask anyway, because I can. Is there anything about your organization or perhaps in the legacy of the last 50 years that you would warn someone away from, that you perhaps regret or, or recognize it's not turned out to be the best way to do things? Well, I think that, that, that uh, what is, has been the struggle and is the struggle is finding the good uh, mix between close enough to be heard far enough to say things and of course we have made not always the right decision in the past 50 years but i think uh, you need to really to to work on, on, on those two, those two uh, on, on that closeness and distance thing yes makes sense absolutely last question uh what are you working on right now or immediately next 
um, we just published a report on uh, justice, uh, distributive justice in, in the climate debate. Uh, we are going to publish somewhere around the summer a report on uh, social position of enterprises, not on social responsible behavior of enterprises, but in what way enterprises participate in creating public goods, common goods. Uh, then we will have reports somewhere in fall, I think, uh, on uh, societal discontent and especially how uh, societal discontent links with the grip individuals tend to feel the control they tend to feel uh, around their life. Uh, the idea is that individual lack of control translates in societal discontent. And so that's a different way of looking at discontent as a societal phenomenon. But these are issues and it's not the only way to look at it, but it's an additional way that might help new topics. You weren't kidding when you said you're bold in tackling the big questions. It seems like you have lots of them on your plate. And therefore, I'm grateful you were able to take time away from it all to come and talk to me. Uh, thank you for the very inspiring conversation, Professor Franz Braun. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure. The Science for Policy podcast is created by Sapea. It's produced by me, Toby Wardman, with additional research and support from Agnieszka Pietruchuk. Sapea is a consortium of Europe's academy networks representing more than 100 academies, young academies and learned societies from more than 40 countries across Europe. We're part of the European Commission's scientific advice mechanism, and as such, we're funded by the European Union. Having said that, the opinions you hear on this podcast are those of the guests, and sometimes mine, but certainly not the views of the European Commission. This music is composed by Carlo Alfredo Piatti and performed by Elisaveta Suschenko. And this last bit is particularly good. <laughs>